you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by AARP. And for DJ this week, I am Red Lewis. And of course, uh, we've got Bucky Brooks here with us. Worldwide Bucky Brooks uh, over in London. Buck, what's going on over there in London? Everything still good? Yeah, everything is good. I, I think I'm still trying to adjust to the time change. The time uh, is, I am where we are. I'm eight eight hours ahead. Oh so, goodness! Well, right. you're just kind of waking up. <laughs> is, it is it is it is becoming dark. You're shutting it down. Okay. So I'm trying to kind of uh, put it together, but it's been it's been a great experience. Um, hanging with the people at NFL UK, the people at Sky Sports, calling games, kind of doing some stuff differently. Uh, it's been nice. That's been awesome, nice, man. Nice little journey. Yeah, that, nice that, that's really cool. I know this is the second year you've done it. So uh, clearly, uh, obviously, some things that are uh, th- some cool stuff that's going on to get you to go back. And uh, hopefully uh, that's something that you can get to continue to do. Um, but we've got a, a lot of stuff going on here today. What do we want to do? We got an interview with Brian Baldinger, as you know, hashtag Baldy's Breakdowns uh, on Instagram and Twitter have become the stuff of legend on social media these days. Baldy will join us uh, here shortly. I know you and DJ had a chance to uh, catch up with him. We'll have that interview for you. We'll take a look at some of the conference championship games and some players uh, that you might see in those games that we will be talking about on Path to the Draft uh, starting in March, April, and May, leading up to the draft, obviously. Uh, so we'll get into that. We'll answer some of your questions that you left in the comments section on the uh, Move the Sticks uh, download page here. And then um, we will also uh, get into some news and some matchups. And, and Bucky, Getting into the news, uh, man, it was really, you know, I I guess there were some people inside the Carolina Panthers facility that were shocked to hear that Ron Rivera was let go by new owner David Tepper. Um, I I guess the way the season has gone kind of up and down lately, more down than up um, at the end of a nine year tenure, you know, maybe we shouldn't be terribly surprised considering the new ownership. But, man, it's unfortunate to see this is one of the great guys in in the NFL. And I imagine he won't be out of work long. No, look, great coach, uh, a guy who had to really deal with a lot of adversity while there. He was kind of the spokesperson for the Panthers doing a lot of scandals. Uh, you think about all the stuff that kind of took place on his wife, Jerry Richardson, the owner having misconduct, having yep. issues with Cam Newton, having an accident, having the own, like his own fire, his house being burned down, having to deal with all of that. Like he has always been a guy that has been able to weather the storm and really represent the organization really well. I think ultimately what this came down to is, Red, it's kind of inc- crazy to, to think about the Panthers, despite having won three straight division titles, they've never put together back-to-back winning seasons. Right. That is unbelievable for me to think about like a franchise that hasn't been able to do it. And then the last couple of years uh, with injuries to Cam Newton and just kind of the, the inconsistent play of the team on both sides of the ball. I think the owner was patient enough, but he just kind of wanted to be able to put his own imprint on the organization. I think the thing that was telling and listening to David Tepper 
have an interview with uh, the Panthers website. He talked about the game skewing towards the offense. And he talked about the league implementing rules that are skewing more towards offense and offensive coaches and that there should be a disparity between offensive coaches and defensive coaches in the head coaching role because of the familiarity with how to exploit the rules and the advantages. And when he said that, it automatically took me to, well, they're going to hire an offensive coach. Yeah. But I do worry about tape Tepper kind of taking a short-sighted view on what a head coach is because the head coach is more than just the play caller. Right. The head coach is the guy that kind of sets the vision for the franchise, sets the vision for the team. He conveys that vision to the coaches and the players. And then his job is to make sure that on a daily basis, everybody is moving in the right direction. And so the head coach role is more about the other days than game day. Um, yes, he wants to get them to game day. He has to make some tactical uh, decisions. But really, it's about creating an environment that is conducive to winning and maintaining that environment. And so when Tepper is making this hire, I certainly hope he looks beyond the playbook and really focuses in on the leadership qualities and the intangibles that head coaches must have. Yeah, that, that's an important an important thing. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, we've talked about it here before. A lot of people, when you when they think about Sean McVay as uh, a type of head coach that teams are are looking for and have been looking for, uh, a creative offensive mind, an innovative offensive mind, um, and, and that can bring some excitement uh, to that side of the football. I, I don't think we've given... McVeigh and the Rams enough credit for what he does as a leader of that team as well. It's not just about scheming things and getting your guys in the right position to play, uh, you know, from a scheme standpoint, as you mentioned, I think that's important uh, to note, but I look, I think there's a few things that we can take away from, from what David Tepper said when he was on what he's going to be looking for in a new head coach, offensive minded. That's kind of where the league has been skewing. He definitely made that mention also said he wants old school discipline with new school, modern processes. That's where we get into the analytics world a little bit. So who fits that mold? A couple guys kind of jumped out at me uh, fairly quickly here, uh, Bucky, and you can kind of give me a sense of what you, what you're thinking here. And the first one has been thrown around on on Twitter a little bit, obviously because of the success of the Ravens and Mm -hmm. where they have gone in the analytics world with their run game, Greg Roman, uh, Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator kind of strikes me as a little bit more of an old school type of guy, but willing to adapt and bring in some new school type of things that we've seen with the Lamar Jackson led Ravens offense. And then the other one, Bucky uh, was Eric Bieniemy. Uh, with the Chiefs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think you just asked Maurice Jones-Drew if he's old school, <laughs> and I think he'll, he'll tell you from their time together. So, uh, with with the in terms of discipline and running a tight ship, what what, what do those those two names mean to you? Well, I, I think Greg Roman is going to be one of the high candidates. A um, couple of reasons why it potentially would fit in Carolina. Uh, you look at Lamar Jackson. You look at what Lamar Jackson is as a quarterback, dual threat playmaker, a guy who is um, kind of created a new stat category, total yardage right. from the quarterback, where you combine his rushing yards and his passing yards to really see his total impact. Well, Cam Newton is older, but Cam Newton at his best was um, a bigger, I mean, maybe even better version of Lamar Jackson. Like if you go back and look at the first four or five years, no of doubt. Week, I mean, he was that additional running back. He was their short yardage back, and he actually played as his best when, 
He had the ball in his hands all the time as a runner-thrower threat. So Greg Roman would fit there. We saw what Greg Roman did with Colin Kaepernick. We've seen it again with Lamar Jackson, even with Tyrod Taylor. And even though people who I know that are around Greg Roman would, would, would say that, look, this isn't necessarily his M.O. in terms of how he wants to play, right. I think the best thing that has happened is he's had success to this, so he's going to have to live in this world. So he would be great. The enemy... Uh, I think Bienemy is interesting because when you look at Kansas City, uh, he is the offensive coordinator. However, he and Andy Reid kind of split the play calling duties, right. and it appears that Andy Reid is kind of the guy that calls most of the plays. And so when you bring him in, um, are you getting uh, what Doug Peterson and, and those guys were able to do initially in Philadelphia? Are you getting that that play calling um, acumen that feel for building your offense or whatever. I will say this as a leader, he's an outstanding leader. He is a guy who doesn't mind challenging his players. He has a clear vision. He certainly has been successful, um, not only at his player in his own right, winning the national championship at Colorado, but having a successful career for a few different organizations um, as a special team standout and now working his way up the ladder as a position coach and coordinator. He brings a lot to the table. I think with everybody, when you make these hires, um, who do they have coming with them? Yeah. Because the star-studded cast of coaches that they bring with them is really as important, if not more important, than the job that they're going to do in the individual role. And then the, the last one that I'll say, maybe a bit of a dark horse here, uh, you and I know know him well, and his name has not been mentioned in the head coaching uh, circles as of late, he's only been back in the NFL for two years, uh, or, or for a couple of a couple, more than a couple of years after a brief stint at Georgia. But Brian Schottenheimer, um, mm. you know, I think is an interesting one. If we're talking about old school discipline, I'm not sure his dad. You know, his, his dad would fit that bill more than anybody. I, I would <laughs> I would venture to I guess to say. I think you can attest to that. And I know there there are teams out there that are more analytically involved than the Seahawks. So I'm not sure where, where his philosophy is on that. Um, my guess is if uh, it was something that he had control over, you could probably see those types of things maybe more um, involved. But it's going to be an interesting one, especially considering the success of the Seahawks offensively during his mm-hmm. tenure and the success of that team overall and how Russell Wilson has continued to transform a- into an MVP candidate. You know, it's funny because everyone in the analytics world uh, kind of thinks when when Tepper alludes to that, like it's about the past. But if you really go back and because you had privy to kind of uh, watch this team while you were calling, um, I think there are a lot of people that are going to look at the success that Army and Navy have had sure. exploiting the advantages with the run game, uh, understanding how analytics can kind of play in your favor, going on fourth down, doing some things that are a little – uh, unconventional, using all four downs so you call the plays differently on third down. I do believe there's going to be some of that. How analytics play a role in, because Tepper also went on to talk about um, kind of rebooting the organizational structure where he wanted to keep uh, Marty Herney around in more of a senior position, but maybe have... Bring in somebody um, else as well. A COO, like yeah. a vice president and assistant general manager, uh who's also in head of analytics to kind of help um, bring that department up to speed. And so when you, you you think about how can you get all of these things working, it'd be interesting. And I think it will be interesting 
as he talked about, um, new school analytics with old school football discipline. Right. How many old football heads are willing to embrace the analytics and some of the stuff? That's the question. Yeah. It might be, you might be looking for a unicorn, right? Yeah. Because what happens is when you're, you're the guy, like for instance, there was a craze with everyone going for two point plays. Well, if the analytics are saying one thing and you go by the analytics and you don't get it, you now have to stand up in front of the press and explain why we went for two in these situations. And so like the coach gets crucified for what is an organizational decision and can ownership and everybody back him when he takes the bullets for them, when things don't go according to script based on the analytics. All right, yeah, so the Panthers looking for uh, their replacement. They get a jump start on it here over the course of the final month of this season uh, as uh, as they try to find the next leader um, of the Carolina Panthers. Okay, let's move into a couple of marquee matchups uh, this weekend here in week 14 of the NFL. And look, uh, obviously uh, talking about the uh, you know the Ravens and the Bills would be one of them. I want to get into the 49ers and Saints, two top teams really, two of the three top teams in the NFC. Look, this game should be so much fun. Um, And I think, look, one thing for me that sticks out, Bucky, is can the Saints defend the edge run game? That's where the 49ers found success against the Ravens. I'm sure that's that's an area they, you know, that, that they kind of pride themselves on. That's where they want to find room. Can the Saints do that? And then somehow can the 49ers find a way to stop Michael Thomas? Yeah, Red, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And I think, um, first off, when it comes to the 49ers, uh, George Kittle being back is everything to them when it comes to the run game. Yeah. Um, his ability to really seal the edge really pops when you look at the tape, but it really pops when you look at the numbers. I got the numbers in front of me. Uh, when George Kittle is around, they run the ball outside on the edges uh, 57% of the time. They're averaging five yards of carry. Um, 18% of their 10-plus runs have come when he's been on the field, when they're not only on 52% of the time, are they running outside and they're only averaging 3.4 yards per carry. So you're talking about almost a two yard per carry difference when he's on the edge and his ability to seal the edges really enables them to kind of do what they always want to do. Stretch bootleg game, running the yin and the yang. And then with him, he's such a terrific wide receiver that you got to worry about him over the middle of the field, not just because he can command it and make the catches between the hashes, but when he gets the ball in his hands, he is as dangerous as any playmaker that we've seen in the league. And the the 49ers do a great job of setting him up and uh, allowing him to kind of do what he does in the middle of the field. I think if I'm the Saints, man, the game plan has to start with being able to understand where 85 is and the things that we need to do to minimize his effectiveness as a run blocker and pass catcher. Yeah, no question. No question on offense. I mean, we, we've seen that. Just a, you go back and look at the highlights from Raheem Mostert's day, and uh, a, a lot of those runs came courtesy of uh, George Kittle uh, creating some space. And then, you know, uh, how, do the, how does the Saints – how do the saints off offensively go after and try to attack what's been, uh, you know, one of the best, if not the best defense, uh, with the 49ers. Uh, I mean, I think, look, this, this is a game where if we had to call it a a show, it would be dancing with stars. Yes. They got to dance with their best players. So it has to be Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, uh, having big games with Drew Brees kind of being a facilitator. Uh, Michael Thomas has been a guy who hasn't been able to be like, no one has stopped him. No one has kind of cracked the code to slow him down. I think Sean Payton do a great job of putting him inside in the slot. 
he'll be the number three receiver and some of their three by one sets. And he'll get a chance to work on maybe some of those linebackers and utilize his his quickness against those guys, but also his physicality and toughness against the nickels and dime players that he may face in the slot. And then Alvin Kamara, I think what you want to do with Alvin Kamara is if they're going three by one, you want to put him on the backside and let him run those option routes on that linebacker because the thing that the Saints have that others don't is their two players on the inside, they are nearly impossible to double when Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas are on the field at the same time. So you got to pick your poison. And I think what you have to do if you're the 49ers, you got to make Drew Brees constantly have to figure out where the double team is coming from and hope that he is slightly off his mark on that day. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, Saints and 49ers down to the Superdome. Uh, top of the NFC could be sh- uh, could shake up quite a bit uh, after this week, especially when you consider you got the Seahawks who are right up there as well, getting set to take on the Rams uh, right here in L.A. on Sunday as well. Um, and if you remember, the Rams just fell short against the Seahawks back in week five in Seattle. Uh, Seattle had a six-minute 50 51 six minute 51 second drive uh, that they had to close out the game and uh, take the lead what was the final margin after uh, Chris Carson had a five yard touchdown pass from Russell Wilson there they won that game 30 to 29 uh, Russell Wilson at 268 yards and four touchdowns Carson went for over 100 Jared Goff threw for nearly 400 so he's coming off a 400 yard game a week ago what do the Rams have to do offensively like we've seen in the last couple of weeks Bucky they've kind of gone back and forth they went to a heavy Todd Gurley run team a couple of weeks ago against the Bears and then last week you know Goff goes for over 400 against the Cardinals so what kind of Rams offense do you expect to see against Seattle I think no matter which way they, they go, whether they're running or passing, I think Ty Gurley has to be the center free, centerpiece. Uh, Sean McVay this week talked about how he's probably been an idiot. Like he, he probably should have <laughs> used him more. And that's the one thing that I couldn't understand when I, when I heard the load management stuff or the things that they were trying to do. It just didn't make sense to me to take your best offensive player off the field. Because make no mistake about it, when you ask defensive coordinators who is the guy that you fear the most on the Rams, it always is number 30. Mm-hmm. His ability to run the ball on the edges uh, when he was at his best a year or so ago, catching the ball out the backfield, um, being a dynamic uh, dual threat from his halfback position, he is the one that makes it go. When they put the ball in the hands of Jerry Goff, as a defensive coordinator, you actually prefer that because Jerry Goff has not been a guy that has been able to be consistently effective on traditional dropbacks. His game is at best when he's able to throw off play action, stick the ball into the belly of Ty Gurley, bring those linebackers up, then drop it over their heads in those soft voids. They have to run the ball well enough to be able to do that. And then when it comes down to dealing with that man coverage, it is all about the pick and rub game. Watch for the condensed splits, the tight alignments, where they can kind of create some natural rubs on the releases so they can get the Seattle Seahawks defenders' hands off of their wide receivers. It is important for their guys to win on the outside, but Sean McVay is going to have to scheme it up to give them opportunities. And the Seahawks uh, offensively, I feel like, have the potential to be one of the most balanced teams uh, that we see offensively with the way they can run now with 
not just Chris Carson, but Rashad Penny, who's really come on in the last couple of weeks. And then uh, clearly, you know, if you get if you're getting DK Metcalf in a situation where he's one on one, no high safety running the deep over route, you're going to be in trouble because uh, that, that is as good a combination as we've seen when Russell Wilson can hit that ball. Uh, he does that uh, as well as any quarterback in football right now. So uh, for the Rams, for the Rams defense, who definitely found some success uh, after a rough outing against the Ravens, they found some success against Arizona, a team that's still kind of trying to find their way uh, in their first year with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, what's the biggest challenge for the Rams defense this week? Well, the Rams defense, it has to start with stopping the run game. Yeah. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, despite having a franchise quarterback and Russell Wilson, it is all about their run game. And of late, Rashad Penny and Chris Carson have done a great job of kind of sharing the load. Both guys alternating who gets the 100-yard game. Uh, combined, the Seattle Seahawks have a punishing running attack that really kind of takes your soul on defense. And so for the Rams, they have to kind of be a little unconventional and get after that. I think you'll see Wade Phillips kind of blitz uh, the run game and he'll put the, put the onus on his corners to hold up in coverage uh, with and without help. So we will see how good um, they are in the back end. Uh, This defense has drastically improved with Jalen Ramsey, but how are they able to kind of match up, and, and deal with the Seahawks while also slowing down that run game. Yeah, no question. Uh, all right, so looking forward to those two matchups, Niners and Saints, Seahawks and Rams. And for a closer look at some other of the pressing topics that require the clicker, the tape, and a little hashtag Baldi's breakdown, uh, let's get to an interview that uh, you and DJ did with our very own Brian Baldinger. All right, Buck, well, here he is, our good buddy Brian Baldinger joining the show. And, and Baldy. Uh, first of all, man, I, I'm just, we talk all the time, but I'm just curious about this because every, every Monday when you start your work on Baldy's breakdowns, which everybody loves on social media, hashtag Baldy's breakdowns, uh, the, uh, I'm just curious if there's one team or, or that, uh, or one scheme or one player that you are most look forward to every week, that that's, that's going to be part of your Monday routine. I've got to see what, what they're doing. Who is Yeah. It? Yeah. No, I mean, I, there's a couple right now, DJ, that I really look forward to. You know, I love watching the Saints defensive front play, you know, and what they've done, you know, especially when Drew Brees was out and they were kind of just controlling all those games up in Seattle and Dallas and some of the big games they won along that stretch. They they were really fun to watch. It's always fun to watch, you know, the 49ers run game, especially when George Kittle was playing because he's just the best blocking tight end in football. It was fun watching Seattle get busy last night against the Vikings, DJ, just, you know, just the way that they just pounded the Vikings. And, uh, you know, the play right now of, you know, DJ Fluker and Apati, I mean, just massive human beings just rolling people out of there <laughs> and really two good backs. I mean, I, I kind of like the old school. I love watching everything that Greg Roman and Lamar is doing right now in all phases of the game. I mean, whether it's the playbook, whether it's, you know, the option game or the power game or, you know, unbalanced formations, well, all the stuff that Greg Roman's doing there, man, it's just, it's fun to watch right now. You know, Baldy, it's funny that you brought up the Baltimore Ravens run game because I know you spent a lot of time calling college games and digging deep into your your repertoire and your history of the, the game. Man, the stuff that they're doing, Baldy, like that stuff is 70s and 80s football. It's just kind of sped up with uh, Lamar Jackson at quarterback. It is. It is. I mean, just, um, you know, the power, the unbalanced, the tight ends. 
um, it's been around a long time. I mean, I mean, I've known Greg Roman since you know, he was a high school coach here in New Jersey over in Ocean City, and he was to run the same stuff at you know Holy Spirit High School, you know, uh, ten years ago uh, before he got on board with Harbaugh in San Francisco. And so it, it, it's nothing new. It's nothing new, but you know, I, I think that um, you know the fact that. They they can play three tight ends in any phase of the game, you know, because of the versatility right now of Mark Andrews and what he could do out of the slot, just like he did at Oklahoma, Buck, right? I mean, they, they just are a difficult team to match up with. And then the unknown is just what Lamar is going to do because you you can you can do what the Patriots did or you can do what the 49ers did last Sunday, and you can have everything assignment perfect. And then there's Lamar, the Lamar factor, where you can be in perfect position. He's going to make you miss, or he's going to just do something that's unconventional, and his eyes are going to take him someplace else. And you may have it defended, but you're going to give up a big gain. And so they have been pretty busy demoralizing teams this year. It's fun to watch, though, Baldy. I, we, uh, when I was at App State, we ran quarterback follow. It looked a little different um, when <laughs> right. I ran it there against Furman <laughs> than when I saw Lamar running against the 49ers. Well, it's funny, it's uh, funny because but, Eric Armstead uh, is right in the hole to make that play. And I'm thinking, I know. Okay, I, he was frozen, I, paralyzed. Was frozen. And so, you know, the play you're talking about is where, you know, at the academies, whether it's West Point or the United States Naval Academy right now, that quarterback fakes the dive, and then he comes right behind him and the dive becomes the lead blocker, yep. like Ingram was. And I'm thinking, well, maybe Lamar's just watching the Naval Academy. Maybe he's going over there on Saturday afternoons and watching what they've been doing all year <laughs> to every team in the country. And uh, because that's all it became. And it's, uh, I'm sure at App State, Dan, you know, DJ, I'm sure that you had your positive gains, but probably not oh, as uh, Baldy, as 16 as for 100, baby. Six, 16 for 100 in one game against Furman. And then I couldn't walk for three weeks. So then I was like, oh, screw that. I'm not doing You're that in an ice bath for the next week, huh? <laughs> Ugh. But it, 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 is it, 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 it is fun to watch. And, I, you know, everybody keeps asking, right? Because that's what you're going to be writing about, Bucky. And, you know, you're gonna say, like, who can stop it? Well, I don't know that anybody can really stop it. Um, you know, I mean, the Patriots had a great game plan. The 49ers have all the talent in the world to stop it. And they limited to the passing game. But, you know, he runs, you know, they run for another 200 yards. They're going to set an NFL record for rushing yards in a season. And, um, but but I, I think that's, you know, the, the good teams in this league right now can flat out run it. And the teams that are getting away from it, like the Eagles have gotten away from it. Um, when you get away from it, um, you know, your chances of winning and what, you know, all the bad things happen just creep in. And so you better figure out a well, way. In Baldy, let me, right let now. me ask you this though. Let, I, I want to jump in on this. I know Buck, you're up next, but Baldy, cause I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when you say that, I, I would love to get your take on this because all the analytic people, right? This is what I, what, what's confusing to me because there's that crowd and you know who they are. Yeah. yeah. Throw, 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 throw. And then I, um, but I'm trying to figure this out because the Baltimore Ravens and I know everybody there. You know everybody there. They're one of the more analytically driven teams in the entire mm-hmm. league, and they're running the living crud out of the football. So explain that to me. Well, um, you know, I th- until last week, you know, Lamar hadn't fumbled the ball away at all. I mean, they'd taken care of the football um, really, really well. So they've limited the, the number of turnovers, sacks, negative type plays. Uh, they run on, you know, they go for it on fourth down as much as any team in this league. So they're always within striking distance of moving the chains. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not getting into those real negative situations right now. Uh, you know, if, if you look at them just from a from a standpoint of third downs, I mean, they're 49%. They're right at the top of the league. 
And so I think all those things just play into it, you know, just ball possession. And, you know, then people, I know those analytic people will tell you, look, ball possession doesn't make any difference either. You know, you, as long as you're, you know, having the big chunk plays and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at the chunk plays, their chunk plays come out of the running game. Teams get tired of tackling those guys. And Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, what, what, what Justice Hill did the other day in his explosive run, um, you know, the explosive plays can come out of the running game. They're proving that right now. And that's, that's, the, that's the counter to the analytics. And what they're saying is you need explosive plays in order to win, which is true. But if your explosive plays are coming out of the run game, what's the difference? Uh, Baldy, when you when you look around the rest of the league right now, um, to me, I, I thought this was fascinating, the game between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the skill position players, there's not one skill position player for Pittsburgh in that football game that would have started for the Cleveland Browns. Not one. Right. Quarterback, receivers, running yep. backs, none of them. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, it goes back to a little bit of what we're talking about here. Winning football, foundational football, still starts up front. Pittsburgh's better than them up front on both sides yep. of the ball. And I thought that's that's just one microcosm of kind of how uh, teams get lost when they're building their football team when they don't start right there. Well, the odd thing is Dick Chubb leads the league in rushing, right? So, I mean, they've got the league's best runner. And what Kareem Hunt has added to that team, I mean, you just have to stay. I mean, that was a close ball game all game. And, uh, you know, James Washington makes a big play for Pittsburgh. But, I mean, that was a game where you could have just stayed with the run game a lot longer than they did. The one thing that Pittsburgh is doing is they're playing shutdown pass defense right now. I mean, for the first time in a long time, and Mink has been a big part of it, but, I mean, between what Hilton is doing and Hayden um, and Edmonds and that secondary right now, I mean, they took every single deep shot away from the Cleveland Browns. And they kept trying it to, to Landry, to Odell, to Higgins. I mean, they tried their deep shots. They didn't get anything all day long. And so they're just long strikes right now. And so, you know, and then they allowed the, the rush to get home, and they just pounded on Baker. And, you know, I mean, they're just better up front. TJ and Dupree and the guys that they have right now, they didn't have to blitz to get pressure, but their, their coverage down the field was just airtight all game long. Hey, Baldy, I want, I want to kind of expand on that Pittsburgh point because you've done some nice videos on them, and you talked about their shutdown pass defense. When you think about the job that Mike Tomlin has done with this team, because they're without weapons, mm-hmm. um, is this the best coaching job that you've seen him do since he's been in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think it is, Buck. And, you know, I, th- I think we can lose track. I mean, he's been there, I think, 13 years. So it's a long time, and, you know, you can probably go in and out. But, I mean, they certainly don't have anywhere near the offensive talent that they had had for a long stretch there. I mean, that doesn't exist. Um, you know, you're pulling guys up from the practice squad to run the ball on Sundays and things like that. But, you know, I, I saw him, Buck, in the third week of the season – in San Francisco, and it was Mason Rudolph's, you know, first start and all that kind of stuff. And the defense took the ball away five times that day, and they just about pulled off an upset in San Francisco. And, you know, they lead the league in takeaways right now. They're at the very top of the list in sacks. Defensively, they've been outstanding. They've fueled uh, them into the, you know, into this postseason uh uh, you know, group of teams right now that could certainly qualify. But I just think, you know, making the decision to pull Mason Rudolph and put Devlin Hodges in there, I mean, there's a lot of moves that he has made that I think a lot of people would have probably questioned and say, you know, I mean, how can you do this? You took this, you cut this guy, now you're bringing him back and you're starting him this late in the season, and it was the right move. It's, it's clearly the right move. And, he, you know, his, his joke is like, don't F it up. Like, we're going to be here. And he didn't. <laughs> and so uh, I, I just think that it's, Overall, to, to, to keep that team believing, 
to make the trade where nobody thought it was a great trade to trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. I didn't hear anybody say, what are the, what, boy, that's a great deal by the Steelers. I, I didn't hear anybody saying that, um, especially when they were 0-3. But it was clearly the right trade, and he is – it's the best defensive team that I've seen in a long time under Mike Tomlin right now. And he's been as big a reason why. Now, certainly the, the drafting of Devin Bush has been huge. But, it's you know, they do things against the Rams. They played seven defensive backs in their nickel, and they took the linebackers off the field, and they played coverage and speed and all that. And So they've been innovative at the same time, in addition to just the overall, you know, just keeping your eye on the next week's opponent and, you know, not getting, not listening to the noise and all that other kind of stuff that coaches will tell you to do. Baldy, I'd love to get your thoughts real quick on the Eagles team that you're, uh, you're around all the time. Um, when you look at this football team, I mean, a couple of things stand out to me, none more so than the fact that, gosh, it just looks like a slow football team to me yeah. uh, when I watch them. What are, what are your takeaways on the disappointment so far in Philly? Well, they are slow. You know, they got old and they got slow. They're slow at, at, at receiver. I mean, they, they went, and I don't, I kind of understand what, you know, Howie and Andy did. I mean, they brought a lot of older guys in because uh, they thought they were real close. And they thought the quarterback was in, you know, really good shape to really uh, lead this team. And he, he clearly has, has not developed this year. His fundamentals are terrible and he has not been good. Um, but, you know, I mean, you kept Jason Peters and, you know, you look at the safeties. And Malcolm Jenkins led the team in tackles, didn't miss a snap last year. And, you know, Rodney McLeod, I mean, they look slow at safety. Um, you know, and, you know, you, you kind of went that direction at the defense line, whether it was bringing, you know, Vinny Curry back. And you just look at, you know, what they are in the defense line. They're not fast. And so I agree with you. They do look like that. Alshon Jeffrey has never been a speed guy, but, you know, he certainly could win a share of jump balls and all that kind of stuff. But I agree. I mean, they don't look like they have a lot of speed. Jordan Howard has never been that guy. And so, but they tried to, I think, make one real good run at it here. And I thought a lot of teams thought that they looked like a Final Four team coming out of preseason. And it's gone backwards. The injuries and the lack of speed has certainly been part of it. But I, I don't see a lot of development uh, with a lot of their younger players. I, I don't know why it took 13 weeks for J.C. Arcega-Whiteside to get in the end zone or even to get on the field for the most part. When I see rookie wide receivers around the league, I kill go 20 off the top of my head of guys that are either leading their team in receptions or making a major contribution right now around the league. And it wasn't the case in Philly. I don't know if you had a chance to really look at Tennessee of late. This <laughs> I have looks, seen a lot of them, man. It looks so much different with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, as opposed to Marcus Mario. Now I know Derek Henry has certainly made contributions in the run game, but, um, what what have you seen from Ryan Tannehill? What is, what has been the difference with him at the helm compared to Marcus Mariota? Well, I, I, you know, DJ and myself, we were there the day that they they turned the reins over to him in Tennessee when they played the Chargers. Yep. And you know, the first thing was he got the ball to the wide receivers. Now, I mean, if you look at whether it's AJ Brown right now, I mean, he's getting the ball down the field, and so that's a big part of it. And I think that the way that he plays in relation to the offensive line. Um, because they struggled there for a long time, too, I mean, uh, when Marcus was in there. But I just think the way that he plays with the offense, how he steps up, where he finds the opening, he doesn't panic, he keeps his eyes down the field. He also is an elite athlete with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, and that was always, you know, the trait that we thought Marcus Mariota had. But he's not – he doesn't panic. 
Um, he keeps his eyes down the field. He's getting the ball to the wide receivers. That's the biggest thing I see right now. And then you see a kid like Nate Davis, who was a real question mark for a long time at right guard buck. Uh, all of a sudden, he looks like a road grader in there, you know, on a team that now has truly found their identity with Derrick Henry. I mean, they don't even put Deion Lewis in the game anymore. It's Derrick Henry's show. And it should be. And three weeks in a row now in this three-game win streak, I mean, he's running it. And then I think that that uh, Tannehill has just played complimentary football. And he's not turned the ball over. He's not making bad bad mistakes or mistakes with the ball, especially under pressure right now in a 17-17 game last week. I mean, he was he was cool and... I think they believe in him right now. That's the biggest thing. That whole organization really believes in him. One thing that's interesting watching them, uh, Baldy, is, is Derrick Henry's production when, when they're getting outside. And I, mm-hmm. I never thought about this from a scouting standpoint until I watched this. But when you have somebody with his length, um, you can't. I mean, his stiff arm is just ridiculous because <laughs> he's freaking sticking his arm out six feet. Malik yeah. Hooker's trying to just grab onto his arm because he can't get anywhere near his torso. But I've never really thought about length with a running back. We never would talk about that. And it, it's not going to be a factor when you're running between the tackles. But, man, when they get him out on the perimeter, that's a weapon with how dang long he is. Well, I mean, yeah, but, but at the same time, he's a complete outlier. I mean, you know, I, I, when I look at Derrick Henry, I look at him eye to eye. I mean, I know they list him at 6'3", but he looks taller than that. He looks like Brandon Jacobs out there. I mean, there's Eric Dickerson, there's Brandon Jacobs, there's Derrick Henry. There's just not that many guys that are built like that. And you're right. I mean, his length is unbelievable. And when he does get in, they're trying to get, you know, you can see right now, even on the opening play of the game against the Colts, I mean, they're doing the fake pitches and the screens. They're just trying to get him on the perimeter right now where he can just take advantage of exactly what you're talking about against, you know, defensive backs. And I don't care who it is in this league right now. Nobody looks good against Derrick Henry out there in the alleys or out there in space right now. And when he gets there, I mean, it's – you know, good luck trying to get him down. I mean, I saw Darius Leonard just bounce <laughs> off him last week, and he only led the league in tackles yep. with 190 a year ago, and he bounced right off him. A lot of times they can't even get to him, though. I mean, they can't get to – when he gets to the outside, they can't get to his torso. It's the it's darndest thing you've ever seen. But I saw him, Baldy, when he was at Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and it was like kind of the first time he got some, some reps. And I, I swear to you, I was up in the box, and I'm watching it, and I go, why are they putting the tight end at running back? And I was like, no, no, that's that's a young yeah. running back. I was like, yeah. that's a running back? And yeah. then he took off, and, uh, and the rest is history. Yeah, and no, I hear a lot of those stories, though, even going back to high school now, DJ, you know, and what he was like in high school and what he was like because he was that size. He was almost that size in high school. So he was a grown man when he was <laughs> 17 years old. Imagine, you know, being a high school kid trying to tackle somebody that looked like that. Ugh. It is unbelievable to see somebody at that size kind of running the way that he is running. Um, this is one of those things that you don't see. Hey, final question for me, Baldy. Um, the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, is, is, is this it? Is he going to be able to dust himself off and kind of find a way to be Captain America all over again and get them to the Super Bowl and really make plays? Well, I mean, he's still throwing the ball fine to me. I mean, you know, the 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 the, the – the bad communication between him and Philip Dorsett or Nikhil Harry on the interception last week. I mean, Nick Harry's got he's got to fight for that ball. He can't let Bradley Roby just run right through him to get that ball. I mean, I'm not saying it's the greatest throw, but um, there's been a lot of receivers that played in New England that would go get that ball. Edelman will go get that ball. There's been a lot of guys who went, went and got it. The, the, the bad timing, I, I saw three shots to Dorsett where he started in the end zone and 
Brady's thinking that he's just going to run through the back of the letters and it's an incompletion on third down, the opening drive. I mean, that's got to get cleaned up. And I, if it does get cleaned up, and I don't know that it can, Bucky, but if it can get cleaned up, because we went through this last year with him. He was awful against Tennessee last year. I mean, there's games, you can see more of them now as he does get older. But um, I didn't think the offense line was just got awful last week. They weren't great, but, you know, losing the center right now is really going to hurt them. Um, they don't have a tight end that can block. I mean, that's a real noticeable factor. I think they do still have a chance to make a run uh, because they will they, – the chances are they're going to get a home playoff game, it maybe it, well, two playoff games. And we know what they're like in, you know, in January up there. So I, I'm not ruling them out right now, but they certainly don't look like the Ravens. Um, they cer- certainly don't look like, you know, even uh, the Houston Texans right now. I mean, those two teams look far superior to them right now. I want to take this thing full circle before we get out of here, Baldy, because I want to get your thoughts on this. Go back to the Baltimore Ravens um, with the way they're rolling. And when you watch that tape, um, you're referencing that play with Armstead where he gets upfield and, and it doesn't touch anybody, totally f- is frozen. But when you watch it, you'll see the unblocked man um, and go back to kind of your option rules of who's mm-hmm. got the quarterback, who's got the die, right. basically what you got to use here against this Ravens team. But I kind of looked at it as you had the unblocked end or whoever they just choose not to block that they're going to read, and then you mm-hmm. had the second-level defender who was unblocked. So it's still two-on-two, mm-hmm. but the, the, the second-level defender can't find the football, and so that's mm-hmm. when Lamar's coming out the back door. All right, all right, I keep waiting for this to happen, and it hasn't happened, where I call the first man to the party, the, the unblocked man, is just going to go hit Lamar Jackson and force the ball to be handed right. off, and then take your chances with Mark Ingram in the middle of the defense yep. versus Lamar Jackson on the perimeter defense. But it hasn't happened, and I'm wondering if this is something that teams if they see it a couple times that they're going to make this adjustment but man i'm taking the ball out of lamar jackson's hands every single time if i'm the unblocked defender and we they don't do it i agree with you and i go i go back uh, dj to rg3's rookie season i think it was his rookie season i remember playing they, he played the cincinnati Bengals, and that's exactly what the Bengals did i mean they they just they broke him in half and, you know, they took a couple yeah. of, you know, uh, penalties on shots, that, but they, they were not going to let him beat him. And he was, you know, and then eventually Haloti Nada just broke him, you know, in a game against the Ravens late in the year that year. But I'm, wait, I'm, I'm waiting for the same thing. I'm, I'm thinking, like, all right, Nick Bowes could go tackle Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards, but I think it'll have a bigger impact if he just goes and just takes the shot right at Lamar Jackson and living with the dive. And, I, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what's up. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of waiting. Maybe Buffalo will do that this week, you know, with their ends right now, and we'll see if that kind of shakes them up. But that's usually the way to, <laughs> to stop the read option if the quarterback's yeah. hurting you is to go hit the quarterback and just treat him like a running back. And I think that's, that's, that's what I'm waiting to see just like you. That's what that, the <laughs> last thought for me. That was that was what was funny because people on social media are saying Nick Bowes only had one tackle. I said, no, he had nine tackles. Just eight yeah. of the times the guy didn't have the football. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous but hey baldy thank you so much man you're very generous with your time today you are the absolute best i encourage any of our listeners if they haven't done it already please follow brian baldinger on twitter uh and on on instagram all social media he is the absolute best of breaking down football uh not only will you enjoy it you'll learn something you'll be smarter for it so thanks so much for your time Baldy. i appreciate, I appreciate it, dj it, buck always a pleasure man take care guys all right thanks for having me well Red, one thing that i love about Brian Baldinger is his ability to really take the complex on tape and make it really simple and easy to digest, not only for me, but for 
the listeners. And I think his breakdowns of offensive and defensive football are, man, as good as they come. And I'm excited that he's he's beginning to get some love, got his own little um, thing where everyone knows to tune in, has his hashtag. Um, yeah. I thought he had like a little gift and a logo. I'm so seeing the logos coming. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, he's, he's doing big things. And we've seen uh, it was Baldy's big boy doing Path to the That's Draft. right. Now – Baldy's breakdowns on Twitter to kind of lighten it up. Oh, man, he's doing a great job. And uh, I, I certainly enjoyed when I got to work with him on the aftermath and uh, saw how uh, passionate he is about watching the tape. And uh, he just he, he locks himself in the vault and just just grinds on the tape. And, and we love the uh, product that he comes up with. So thanks to Baldy. Okay, so let's get into some of the conference championship games going on this weekend. Obviously, big weekend in college football. Uh, a lot of these championship games uh, could have a major impact on the college football playoff scenarios, especially when we get into the Pac-12 championship, where Utah could certainly get in there as the fourth team, taking on Oregon in Justin Herbert. Um, it was obviously a, a big part of our quarterback drafts process uh, in the next few months. Obviously going to be a lot of eyes on him here, Bucky, and for talent evaluators and for GMs and executives here, they're going to make these decisions. What kind of statement can Justin Herbert make as he tries to lead his Ducks past Utah this weekend? Hey, Brad, this is the biggest game that Justin Herbert would play in his career. Uh, it's the biggest game because everyone loves a lot of what Justin Herbert represents. Prototype size, great athlete, uh, terrific arm talent. The biggest question in his resume is, what's the signature game? Has he performed at a level in a big game to lead to believe that he could be a dominant player in a National Football League? He hasn't done that. Utah has a number of NFL prospects on both sides of the ball. This is going to be a high-profile game. This will be a chance for Justin Herbert to change the narrative. Right now, everyone is kind of riding the wave on Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow has performed well in these big environments. We saw him play well against Alabama. We've seen him play well against other uh, big-time teams. Can Justin Herbert change the conversation by having a big game against Utah? That is what everyone wants to see. Yeah, no question. Not sure we ever really got that uh, super signature game from Josh Allen last year, but he still ended up being the seventh overall pick in the draft and uh, the third quarterback off the board. So look, it's still possible that Herbert ends up in the top 10, despite what happens uh, against Utah this weekend. But uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch for sure. Uh, as we get that one on uh, Friday, now let's move to Saturday, the big 12 championship game, Baylor and Oklahoma. Obviously we've talked about Jalen hurts a lot. Um, you and I did the last time we did this podcast together. Uh, it's kind of assessing where he might end up. Uh, still obviously a lot of variables out there, a lot of unknown, uh, on that. We'll know more about it as we get into the run-up to the draft. But I want to look at a couple of the receivers in this one, Bucky. Um, obviously, for Baylor, it's Denzel Mims. And then for Oklahoma, it's CeeDee Lamb. And and do you, do you have a comp yet on CeeDee Lamb? I mean, obviously, just going back you know, to last year with, uh, with Hollywood Brown ending up in the first round as an Oklahoma wide receiver. What are you thinking for Lamb and then again for, for Mims out of Baylor? So I think the thing with C.D. Lamb, the guy he reminds me of in a way is DeAndre Hopkins. And the reason I'm going to say the DeAndre Hopkins conversation is because I don't think C.D. Lamb is going to be as fast as people anticipate, but I think he's going to be very, very effective in the pros because of his size, his ability to win these 50-50 balls down the field, and he's a playmaker. DeAndre Hopkins is very similar in that vein. He's not the fastest, but he consistently makes these contested catches that produce these long game. 
that's how he's going to impact the game. I think Denzel Mims, what's interesting to me about him is, I don't think he's a fast guy either, but he's a chain mover. And when Baylor needs big plays in the passing game, when they need a first down, he is the guy that the ball goes to. And so when I'm in evaluating, I'm looking at him and I'm looking for those critical situations in games, third down, red zone, two minutes, who can I rely on? I think Denzel Mims is this. And so in another big game, big profile, let's see how these two guys go back and forth when they're watching each other compete when they're on the sideline. Yeah, that's going to be fun uh, for sure. And uh, and look, for Mims, I mean, he's a guy that knows how to get it into the paint, Buck. I mean, you're talking about uh, three straight seasons where he's had at least eight receiving touchdowns. He's got 11 this year in the regular season, so uh, can only uh, add to that uh, potentially uh, here in the postseason. Okay, so that'll be a fun one to watch for the Big 12 championship game on Saturday. Also on Saturday, uh, you know, Usually one of the main events on championship weekend is the SEC championship game. And we've got Georgia and LSU meeting up here in East versus West. And look, uh, LSU, they're in the playoff no matter what. Uh, Certainly feels like here. Joe Burrow has established himself as maybe the top quarterback uh, going into the draft here with the season that he's put up. And then, uh, you know, going up against uh, a guy in DeAndre Swift in Georgia, maybe the top running back off the board. Uh, There'll be a ton of prospects to look at in this one, Buck. A ton of of prospects. Look, man, it... Like, Rick, when, when you look at this game, like, what do you think about when you see these two teams square off? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you see these two teams? Uh, you know, I, I'd have to say just uh, elite talent. <laughs> that's, that, that's one of the first things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is a terrific game and a terrific matchup. Like, obviously, um, you tune in and you want to look at the quarterback. The quarterbacks for sure, yep. Yeah, everybody is excited about Joe Burrow, how how much progress he has made this year to go uh, and jump in Joe Brady's offense, to master it the way that he's mastered it, to not only show what he's showing as a player, I think it's the leadership ability. In two years, he has kind of flipped that locker room where those guys really, really um, admire and respect the way that he plays. And I think after watching Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen have their success, I think that might need to be a bigger part of the quarterback evaluation than anything. Good How point. do your guys respond to the way that you perform? What kind of leader are you? How do you handle the adversity? And can you earn the respect of your teammates by the way that you handle those moments? I think that's the best thing that Joe Burrow offers. Look, all-state basketball player, Mr. Ohio, he's talented for days. Let's just see how he does it against a Georgia team that is loaded. And then when I look on the other side with Georgia, DeAndre Swift, to me, is a guy that doesn't get enough conversation and attention. Look, I think everyone understands uh, in most minds that he's the number one running back on the board. I think when you look at him, though, I just come up with he's the natural. I don't know if I've seen a running back as natural as he is with the ball in his hand. He's smooth. He's fluid. He has the electric ability when he bursts and changes direction and gets in the open field. He also can catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb. I mean, look, I know Ty Gurley was great, but DeAndre Swift, in terms of what he brings, potentially he could be the best running back to come out of it in the last 10 years. Man, that, uh, that's going to be fun to watch and evaluate as we go forward here in the next couple of months. Look, I'm going to use a couple of cornerbacks to link the SEC championship game and the Big Ten championship game. Uh, and by doing that, I'm going to talk about LSU's cornerback Christian Fulton And then as we get into the Big Ten championship game, you're going to see Ohio State among the high-level elite prospects that the Buckeyes will trot out there. 
cornerback Jeff Okuda is one of them for the Buckeyes. So let's talk about those two corners here for a second, because I mean, I guess depending on who you ask, a one and two, it certainly seems in terms of uh, uh, corners we could see in the draft with Fulton of LSU and then Okuda of Ohio State, Bucky. How do you see that? Hey, look, man, when, 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 when I'm looking at corners, the first place I always go to is I got to keep the ties around LSU because <laughs> they have been known to produce corners. And you can say the same about Ohio State. Sure. But let's talk about Christian Fulton first. Six foot, 200 pounds, long arms, ball hog, great eyes, great instincts, um, even better hands. What you get when you get an LSU cornerback is you're the guy who has a ton of experience playing press man coverage, meaning he is very comfortable, nose to nose, in your face, being able to put his hands on, jam and disrupt, and carry it. I love his competitive spirit. I love the way that he battles and competes. He is a guy that can kind of lock people down on the island. And Akuda, I think you can say the same thing. Uh, Ohio State uh, just has a knack for producing high-level cornerbacks. They do a great job of having a variety of tools in the toolbox. They find a way to consistently um, get it done. And it's one of those things that uh, you're always looking for at the position, meaning tough, fast, physical, great instincts, great ball skills. I think this ultimately, when we make this debate and to make the decision yeah. about both of these corners, it kind of comes down to style. Which style corner do you want to be your CB1? No question. Uh, both of these guys, to me, are terrific players. They're going to be terrific prospects as we continue to look at them on path to the draft. That's going to be fun. All right, so uh, as we take that link and then uh, dig a little bit deeper on the Big Ten Championship game, I mean, look, clearly Chase Young, you know, has got an opportunity to make yet another statement here. Uh, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be fun to watch Wisconsin try to deal with him uh, once again. And then the other thing that I think is, is kind of interesting in this one are the running backs on either side. Jonathan Taylor has more production than any running back in college football uh, over his career. And then you got a guy like J.K. Dobbins, who's probably going to end up being a better prospect. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, this is a game that is loaded. Briefly, we'll touch on Chase Young. Yeah. Chase Young is the best football player in college football. He will be the best uh, prospect in the draft if he comes out. No doubt. He's a premier pass rusher, long, rangy, athletic, great hands, technically sound. And what I love about him is he has a terrific motor. So there are not many questions about him. With the two running backs, J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, uh, J.K. Dobbins to me is your prototypical running back. Yeah. Um, he's kind of rugged, runs hard, and of late what we've seen, down the stretch, Ohio State is leaning on him a little more. He's responded in outstanding fashion. Yeah. We've seen him have, have a, a heavy workload, produce big numbers, physical, finishes runs, kind of plays it the right way. Jonathan Taylor, production is through the roof. It's off the charts. Yeah. Uh, you just don't see a guy have, uh, I think he has, what, 11 or 12, 200-yard games in his career. And the thing that you have to balance when you evaluate Wisconsin running backs, how much of it is him, how much of it is the offensive line and the scheme. I think he's talented, but his talent is a little different because it's a little muted. He's not explosive. He doesn't have the kind of pop that you see at the running back position. But when you look at the end of the game, the numbers are there. And so it's going to be critical for evaluators to kind of understand fit and scheme. What is the best fit for him to play in? Because I think he has to play in the right scheme for him to pop as a pro. Yeah, and for Taylor, I mean, look, you're looking at a guy who has an opportunity to go for over 1,900 yards uh, 
if we're if we're counting the Big Ten championship game and then their bowl game for the third consecutive year, uh, 49 total rushing touchdowns for his career as it stands now. The one thing that I thought was interesting this year, uh, especially earlier in the season, we saw them use him more as a receiver. Uh, 22 receptions this year ended up with five receiving touchdowns. So he's got 25 total touchdowns this year. And uh, here's just uh, one note that our uh, producer, Nabil, obviously is uh, very in tune with here as a avid Wisconsin Badger fan. Um, if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten championship game, which is a huge if, they will have two losses and then four top 20 wins to their record, whereas Clemson with a loss in the ACC championship game, which, again, is a huge if uh, going up against uh, Virginia, which we'll get into here in just a second. They'd have one loss on the season, but zero top 25 wins. Okay, that, again, uh, brought to you by our producer, mm-hmm. Nabil, um, who is uh, obviously very, uh, very interested in making the Wisconsin Badgers record stand up uh, very tall uh, this year. All right, so that, that's the Big Ten title game. Uh, let's get back to the ACC championship game, Virginia and Clemson. And if we're talking about elite receivers in college football, I think, you know, you sit there and you talk about the Alabama quartet, right? Um, you talk about Ruggs and you talk about, uh, you know, obviously Jerry Judy and Smith and Waddle and those guys and then you know cd lamb we've already talked about denzel mims one receiver that's certainly an elite player in college football that we don't talk about a ton um is clemson's wideout t higgins where does he fit in this whole thing as uh, clemson gets set to battle virginia on saturday for the acc title game hey t higgins is a dominant player t higgins has a lot of quality that you really like at the position he's tall he's talking about six three six four 215 pounds can run like the wind consistently gets separation on vertical routes and makes a ton of plays. He puts the ball in the paint, which is what you absolutely want to see. Now, I don't believe he's a classic number one receiver. What I think he is is a complimentary playmaker on the outside. That said, still doesn't mean that he can't be a first-round pick if he comes out because he has traits that you look for. This will be right, and I'm excited as we kind of flip the calendar and we get into the path to the draft and we talk about these things. This will be the year of the playmaker. Yeah. There's so many playmakers available at the skill positions. People are getting excited about the quarterbacks, but this year we have a ton of pass catchers to talk about. And so T. Higgins is one of many guys that can impact the game, uh, impact the pass game on the outside. All right. So, uh, look, I mean, are you giving Virginia a shot in that game? Uh, no, I think Clemson's going to win that game. I think Clemson. Yeah. I think they're going to blow another quarter. Debo has all of the attention. He has the antenna up. They're ready to go. They feel like they've been disrespected in the process. Um, I don't really know what he wants because they don't have a signature win, but I get it. You're defending national champions. You're sitting there at three. You would like to think that, look, based on our resumes in previous years, we would come in kind of viewed as the number one, but they haven't. We'll see. They get a chance to show everybody uh, this weekend with a big win over Virginia and set it up for the playoffs. And uh, I, I guess because uh, DJ's name is on the marquee, we have to talk about the Sunbelt Championship game with uh, his, oh, uh, his his App State Mountaineers. Yeah, they they actually yeah it sure is. They're gonna play uh, the uh, the the guys down from my home state in Louisiana. Uh, but yeah, look, D- D- DJ, I'm sure wants to talk about Darrington Evans and uh, Keem Davis Gaither and, and that whole crew. I mean, look, App State, and we can we can you know make all the jokes we want to make, but they have been a really good football team in uh, Eli Drinkwitz's first year here. And uh, 
Uh, yeah, Zach, Zach Thomas is a good quarterback. So, I mean, they, they've got a lot to a lot to look forward to for sure. They do have a lot to look forward to. They ranked 21. They're 11-1, 7-1 in the conference. Only lost to Georgia Southern, which was a surprise. I actually watched that game. I think it was a Thursday night game. Yeah. Um, Drinkowitz, this is interesting because he's beginning to get a lot of love on the coaching trail. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are kind of poking around and throwing his name out for Ole Miss and Arkansas and some of those jobs. Like, I would hate for him to be a one-and-done guy for the App State Mountaineers. But, look, that's what happens when you have success. 11-1, and this is one of the best teams that we've seen from App State. Uh, They beat my Tar Heels. They won on the road. They beat South Carolina. They're set up now to win a title game, and we're looking at an App State team that could win 12 games. Man, that's kind of remarkable. Yeah, no question. And look, I mean, look, App State has become a really good job. I mean, uh, Scott Satterfield did, did a really good job, and now he just wins uh, Coach of the Year uh, in in the conference uh, in his first season at Louisville, taking over the mess left by Bobby Petrino. So, um, look, there's been put some good coaches through App State, no question about it. Uh, so, I, look, I'm, I'm definitely going with them uh, in the Sun Belt Championship. I'll give you a quick bonus in the Conference USA Championship game because we saw a lot of Conference USA here on NFL Network this season uh, with the 10 regular season games that we had. And we saw the eventual East Division champion, Florida Atlantic, led by Lane Kiffin. But for how much longer, Bucky? Certainly his name has been a popular one uh, as the coaching circuit has started uh, following the regular season as conclusion in college football. But we're going to see FAU take on UAB from Boca Raton for the Conference USA Championship game. Uh, look, I think uh, you know one of the prospects that we're going to see again on NFL Network is Harrison Bryant, the tight end from yep. uh, FAU. Has been one of the best tight ends in college football this year. He's a Mackey Award finalist. Going to be fun to watch him, uh, Bucky. I know you did a little. You you, uh, you kind of gave us a, yeah, a little scout's eye on him. Yeah, a little breakdown. Like Lane Kiffin has done a really good job down at FAU. Um, he has kind of brought that program to prominence. Um, uh, last couple of years, uh, we saw Singletary from Singletary go to the Buffalo Bills from that program, and now we have an opportunity to see their tight end. Like, I think the interesting thing with Lane Kiffin is where does he fit in this coaching carousel? Uh, will teams be willing to kind of take on everything that comes along with Lane Kiffin? Uh, not only the offensive acumen, but the shenanigans off the field, the social media posts, and all that other stuff. Uh, there's no denying, though, he's a good coach. He's a great offensive mind. At some point, he's going to get an opportunity to have a bigger job. Doesn't necessarily mean it'd be a better job, but he's definitely going to have an opportunity to have a bigger job. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Um, okay, and then on the other side, UAB, uh, they've got so they've got a talented trio of wide receivers with Kendall Parham, Austin Watkins. They've also got a defensive lineman, one of the best defenses in college football, by the way, the UAB Blazers. Garrett Marino is uh, the name to watch for UAB. Uh, He is an interior disruptor. Um, He's a guy that uh, in the mold of those kind of like Geno Atkins, uh, Aaron Donald types in the NFL. I'm not saying he's on that level. I'm just saying he's a guy that can get after the passer from the interior and has done that for UAB this year he's a fun one uh to watch as well yeah like look UAB tremendous amount of respect for them and what they've been able to do I mean you talk about coming from the abyss to bouncing back and being one of the top teams in the college yeah. football playing for a championship uh they've done a terrific job and kind of like their uh rebirth uh reemergence as a, as a college football power so now this will be a great game to watch yeah uh all eyes will be on Lane Kiffin but you're right UAB and their defense has been lights out. UAB has not won, has not lost a home game since they brought football back in 2017. 
It's crazy. It's crazy the job that Bill Clark has done for UAB. Uh, Terrific. So that'll be fun to watch that one in Boca, though, as uh, UAB takes on Florida Atlantic. All right. So obviously we'll uh, we'll dissect those games uh, next week um, once uh, once we get back here with you. But also want to get into some fan questions here. As we always, we ask you to leave a comment and leave a question in the comments and we answer some of them. So, uh, Nabil, what do we got? What are some of the questions that we found uh, this week? All right. First one. Who do you think the best GM in the league is? Ooh, good question, Bucky. What do you got? I mean, man, that's tough. Like, best GM in the league. I think there are a lot of people that have done terrific jobs. Obviously, the job that John Snyder has done up in Seattle has been terrific. Um, I think you can begin to throw Chris Ballard. Uh, I think you can throw John Lynch's name in that in terms of how they come up. But how about a name that doesn't get enough attention for what he's done since he's been elevated to the GM post? Jeff Ireland down in New Orleans. Great one. Um, you know, like, had an opportunity in Miami. I think he learned from that experience. But what he has done of late in terms of rebuilding and building that New Orleans Saints teams, they're not glaring weaknesses on their roster. And so you have a great football evaluator with a great mind in Sean Payton. It's not a surprise that New Orleans is right on top. They've already clinched their division. I don't know if he's eligible for the executive of the year award, but uh, low key candidate, dark horse candidate, Bill O'Brien with what he's done, assuming the GM role or at least a share of the GM role in Houston, uh, I think deserves a little love as well. He does deserve some love and you're right, man. He has, uh, he's kind of picked it up. Like there are a lot of people that was questioning uh, his decision to kind of take over me included, but he made some moves that have kind of turned out like, it's funny. Maybe the Jadavian Clowney trade has been a win-win for both teams because they have gotten some production out of those guys that came over. Jacob Martin. And then the move. Yeah, yeah Jacob Martin. We saw him have a big sack against the Patriots. And then uh, Larry Tulsa coming over. He, he kind of shored up some Just, stuff that yeah. they were having. And he's been injured uh, a little bit, but he certainly helped them. He's helped Le- Deshaun Watson play better. So, nah, you can't, you can't not Bill O'Brien. And you notice they're not looking for a general manager anymore. That's right. That's right. It's an important uh, important distinction to make there. Uh, they, they, they have a, a combination they feel like works uh, and has worked uh, well. And uh, I think we're seeing that as they lead the AFC South and the number three spot in the AFC as it stands uh, at this point. All right. Uh, one more question. What do you got, Nabil? The first quarterback drafted isn't always the best. Why do you think that is? Is it scouting or fit or too much pressure from being drafted high? Hmm. Well, I mean... Red, the easiest answer is you go to the worst team. Yeah. So what <laughs> happens is when you draft the number one, you go to the team that was viewed as the worst team in most uh, instances. And so you don't have a lot of uh, weapons around you. Uh, sometimes you may be playing with a new coaching staff that's also trying to fix and rebuild and repair their culture. So you have a lot of things working against them. I think the guys that we saw have success, uh, Lamar Jackson, we'll bring him up because he went lower, but the Baltimore Ravens were an established team. They were right. a, a playoff team, a team that was always on the cuff. So it wasn't like they had to orchestrate this radical overhaul to get it ready for him. And I think that is why I think uh, Buffalo, even though they had a down year before they got Josh Allen, they had, had playoff success two years prior. So the infrastructure was in place. So a lot of it is, we talked about it earlier, fit and scheme and fit and locker room and understanding the character. Um, your quarterbacks that typically have tremendous success early in their career are guys that go to better teams, better coaches staff. 
I'm with you. It's, I mean, I think that's why we saw, you know, Dak Prescott have some success with the Cowboys. Obviously, mm-hmm. a reason why, you know, like R- Russell Wilson, we saw have some success with the Seahawks. Those were uh, some teams that had some talent around them. And, and look, clearly they have they have kind of gone out on their own and made their own name for themselves, uh, d- despite what's around them. But that's certainly a big part of it uh, as well. Uh, all right. Had some fun here with Bucky. Uh, coast to coast, uh, continent to continent uh, here on the Move the Sticks podcast presented by AARP. Glad to have you guys here with us. Um, and uh, DJ will be back uh, next week and we'll have the 10 Takeaway podcast for you on Monday. Uh, Bucky, anything else uh, before we get out of here? No, man. Enjoy a great football weekend. Yeah. There are matches for day. Saturday and Sunday should be a lot of fun. No question about it. Looking forward to it here. Again, you can download the Move the Six podcast at Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Uh, leave us a rating, a comment, and again, we'll answer those four, those some of those questions that you leave in the comments next week. You can also check out all of our videos at NFL.com slash MTS video or at our new channel on YouTube youtube.com slash NFL podcast. And another reminder for you that the 10 takeaway podcast is now available uh, as a video show for you as well to, uh, to enjoy. So I look forward to being back here with you on Monday. Thanks for listening to move the sticks presented by AARP. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.